Welcome to Wax Half Full, episode 47. I'm your host, Wax, here as always with my co-host, Ads. This is Keith, always in the background. Wait, did I mix that up? Whatever. Keith is here. <laughs> Whatever. Ads, how are you doing? I'm good. This is like one of the first pod episodes where we do it, where I haven't been awake for about five minutes. I've been awake for about two hours, so I'm not promising any better quality, but... uh. I'm just putting it out there, you know? Yeah, what happened to you? Oh, what do you mean, what happened to me? You just uh, got your sleep schedule back in order? It's no, no, no I have reason. So, no. Oh, okay, I see, I see. I have to be awake right. at a normal time, whereas we, we normally record the pot on Saturday mornings for me. All right. I don't have that's Ads, how did the uh, the big Facebook, Instagram going down thing affect you? Because I remember you saying that it's... Uh, it's it's more relevant in Australia because at least for me, at least for me here in the States and the people I know, it didn't really matter because no one I know is on Facebook. No one I know is on WhatsApp, but I did hear that in certain countries where like, the WhatsApp uh, penetration rate is very high. It was actually a huge deal. Like basically people couldn't talk for, for six hours. Like in Europe, everyone in Europe uses, I, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot, a lot of countries in Europe use WhatsApp. So is that yeah. the case there too? Um, so my friend group predominantly uses WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. So we were kind of fucked. Um, and also my work uses WhatsApp to communicate. Oof. So, and it was, it was on the first day back at school. So, um, great timing where a lot of communication needs to be done. Um, which is great, you know, um, it was weird. Like some days I'll go hours without using you know, those messaging services. But um, when you, you know, you don't know if something's, you miss something until it's gone, right? So I was feeling a bit anxious, to be honest. I was like, hang on, I can't message the boys, you know? Hmm. What can I do with my life now? Well, work-wise, what happened? Was everything just paralyzed? Nothing happened for six hours? Yeah, pretty just much nothing did. happened. Yeah, <laughs> nothing right. happened. Um, it was Wait, first what, what day back and it's... What time was that for you guys? What time was, was like, it for you guys? Six to eight AM. That's oh, okay. started around so, that time. And then it was back around like twelve, I'd say. Alright, I guess it wasn't that big a deal. I feel like in certain in certain parts of Europe it must have been like such a gigantic deal. Yeah. Also I hear like also I read like I think India WhatsApp is also very prevalent there, but I suppose that given the time zones, it didn't happen during like that much during business hours, so I guess the the damage wasn't as severe yeah, as it could in, have been. India's what, like two, three hours behind Australia right now? So that, mm-hmm. that would have been around right in the morning for them. Yeah. First few hours of the morning. But yeah, All it, was right. kinda, it, was, it was weird, but whatever. I was expecting it to be longer, right? Because in 2016, 17, it was like a 24-hour one. That was crazy one. Mm. All right. Let's go on to our first topic of the day. And this one is, is I don't really have much to say about it, but I really wanted to, t- to hear what you have to say about it because it seems like a topic that is near and dear to your heart. So... Pitchfork, they sent out an article that is basically, uh, how would you describe it? They, they said that we would like to go back, and this is not an official re-review. They asked some of the reviewers, what are some of your album reviews that you would like to re-review? So this is like their cop-out way of saying, we're not yeah. changing the score on our site. But it's not canon. They made that explicit. They said it's not canon. Yes. But this is sort of a way for their reviewers to come out and change things for whatever reason. And the reasons, basically, 
it depended on the reviewer, but it seemed to boil down to, oh, no, we read the zeitgeist wrong. We want to change our review to reflect what's popular opinion, not our own opinion, which I thought was kind of cowardly. I, th- I thought the entire point of Pitchfork was to, uh, I thought they, they enjoyed the contrarian stuff. I thought they really, really enjoyed giving bad reviews to things people like and giving good reviews to the things people don't like. Have, have they have their, have their, Has their direction changed over the last 20 years? Like, Am I not understanding the current Pitchfork culture? Um, that's kind of the way they've gone. I think in the early 2000s, they were more into that than they are now. Nowadays, mm-hmm. they're like, okay with being in tune with the zeitgeist because they're probably no longer, you know, they don't, they don't have the same pool as they used to back in the early 2000s or, you know, even mid 2010s, I'd say up to, up to like around that mid 2010s where now they don't have, um, quite the same allure as other, as they used to. So I think they've pulled back on that, and now they're more comfortable giving shitty trap music good scores. And yeah, I said that. Um, or n- not good scores, but like above average scores to what how good they are compared to the other shit they've given bad reviews. So yeah, I think I think you're right, but I think that's no longer the case, and I think that sh- is shown by the fact that they're even willing to do this because I don't think they would have done this in the 2010, uh, the early 2010s, and the 2000s for sure. Although I guess there's not enough time passing from... How old is Pitchfork? Would it have been like 1999, I think? I, I have no idea. So, so what are some notable examples here? Okay, so... So I'm just going to go through... Have you heard of any of these songs? In 1995. Yes, I've heard of Prince. <laughs> I've heard of Prince. So, so they gave a random... <laughs> they gave a random 2004 Prince album. They, they upped it from 5.8 to 7.8. And I have no idea why they did this because I don't think this album really had any kind of uh you know popular resonance but i guess this guy felt bad because prince is dead i don't know i, mean, uh, I think that's I, really... I think you hit the nail on the head there he said uh prince is dead we gave prince a yeah. bad score let's 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 give prince a good score 7.8 did i recommend by the way this is a tangent did i recommend the prince song already on recommend the songs because because now now i'm going to flex my uh my small think, amount yeah. of hipster cred okay, okay. Uh, i'm going to recommend i'm going to recommend the post 90s prince song just that, that's that's my only. That's a tiny, tiny amount of hipster cred I'll bring to this, and it's not even hipster because it's fucking Prince. Like, how, how hipster can it be? Surely you've heard of um, of the Strokes, right? Room on Fire. Yeah, yeah. So and that, just, and that one is like. I, think that's, I guess the the Strokes album. It, so I guess the so the three ones that stuck out to me as the ones that have really, really changed in terms of popular opinion, and this is the only reason they change it is like. They moved Daft Punk's Discovery from six point four to ten to a perfect ten. Yes, they've only got a handful of perfect tens on the site, by the way. Right, and then they uh, they they reduced uh, Daft Punk's Random Access Memories from eight point eight to a six point eight, and these are the two most pandering ones I I could think of, where they're like, okay, we we got the we got the zeitgeist wrong. So, so Discovery, you know, widely praised as some sort of revolutionary album that basically—I don't want to say created the current uh, music scene, but yeah, you know, it—it it, it definitely influenced the early O's. Yeah, you know, yeah, you, you can trace the lineage. EDM. Yeah, the EDM lineage goes goes way back. I'm um, obviously it goes way back in Discovery as well, but it had a huge impact. And I guess the Random Access Memories downgrade is because they—I I guess at the beginning that. Right, right. It, it it won too many awards. It was on the radio too much. And at first, they were just trying to pay respect to a uh, legendary duo. And they're like, oh, nope. We don't want to look like we're selling out too much. 
see, see, that's the crazy thing, right? They go from the 6.4 to, to a 10. And is it the same dude writes it? No. Um, but, and then they go, okay, hang on, hang on. We can't give Daft Punk too much credit. Even though that, like, Random Access Memories is their last album, right? They're not going to release any other music after that. I think Random Access Memories is, is incredibly good. It's, like, one of my favorites. I still go back and listen to it. There are albums that I felt really, um, really strongly about when they first come out. And then as time goes on, I find myself, I don't come back to them and listen to them that much. The most common example I would say, probably a bit controversial, is Kanye West's um, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. So if, a lot of people would argue, except for the old heads, would argue that that is his you know, magnum opus, his best, his best album. But as, as far as Kanye West songs that I listen to regularly now, you know, five plus years on from uh, the debut of every single album, I find I listen to that one. It's one of the least listened to that I listen like that I go back and listen to. So I, I still rate it highly in terms of its like at the time, but in, in terms of my re-listenability, I, I, I feel like it's dated worse than even some of Kanye's older albums where he has terrible quote unquote, terrible songs like drunken hot girls. Right. Yeah. So, so but is that, so the question then you got to ask is, is that enough for me to then say, okay, it's not as good of an album as I thought. You know, and I guess that goes back to how you review and how you think you should review albums, right? Oh, and by the way, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is a perfect 10 on Pitchfork, right? I, I believe it is. I believe it got a perfect 10. Yeah, I think it's one of the handful of perfect 10s on the site. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, just, I just wanted to hear you rant. I feel like I told you I, I, I want to hear you rant, and then I started ranting for a while. So yeah, so just go through the... Okay. You, so, you want to go, go item by item, or do you want to talk about uh, music uh, culture in general? I'll, I'll, I'll go through a few of them, right? So I'll, I'll go through... First off, I found it hilarious that they said it's not canon. But th- there's this one line that I love from this. I love... It's my favorite line. This, this line makes the whole of this worth it. And I'm trying to find that again, okay? Let me find it. Uh, there's a, there's actually a couple. Let's let's do the first one. Let's do the first one, which is Lana Del Rey's "Born to Die" 2012. It went from a 5.5 to a 7.8, and the only reason this goes up is because Lana Del Rey isn't a meme anymore, and she's no longer that girl who. I guess she's still a bit of a meme, but she's not nearly as big of a Tumblr meme as she is. And then they say this is their line. Um, it's hard to describe how overheated the discussion around Lana Del Rey was in 2012. When critics eyed her femme fatale persona with cynicism and you couldn't scroll a Tumblr dashboard without passing a flower crown. I, I love the way that Pitchfork talks about this culture as if they're so far removed from it, like they're some fucking high-tier media. It's just it's hilarious. I love it. And there was the other one. What was the Twitter one? That was my favorite one. Okay. This one's from the Charlie XCX Vroom Vroom EP in 2016, which goes from a 4.8 to a 7.8. And again, this is just showing how big of a artist Charlie XCX is now compared to her when her EP came out. To a certain very melodramatic, very online type of Twitter user, there was nothing more homophobic than our humble publication. And I love the fact that they give the humble publication, giving a 4.5 to Charlie XCX's Vroom Vroom EP. Like, it's just, it's, it makes. I hate this article, but that line is just so good and it's so stupid. It's, it's so pitchfork. It's just dis- so disgustingly pitchfork that it's the perfect line. And I don't think this person, Kat Zhang, shout out to you. I don't, you probably never hear this, but shout out to you for writing the best line that has ever been written on pitchfork in the history of pitchfork. That's just incredible. I just love it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, so that those two lines c- come out to me. Like some some of these people take it too seriously, and they go and they go into the whole um. Oh, this is why I think the album is better now. And oh, when the real reasoning is, um, well, we actually people liked it more than we liked it, so we're going to change it now uh, and get people talking. Right? I think Regina Spector's "Begin to Hope," by the way, should be a ten. What a, it's a perfect album, in my opinion. Um, that one was one that okay. struck out to me. There's another okay, one so, that went up. Yeah. So could I ask you a question, just to play devil's advocate, but? You would you would agree with the general sentiment, maybe not uh, specifically how Pitchfork states it, but the general idea that music doesn't exist apart from the time, apart from the culture from which it's created. Like a lot of artists will make albums literally as like a parody of you know the music they're hearing right now. A lot of music is like directly influenced and is commentary on other music. So in a sense, uh, changing your review to, your review to reflect that it's not necessarily like. Uh, it's it's you could say that it, that's just natural to music because because music isn't made apart from the times. Are you asking basically should people be re-reviewing their music? I'm just saying like re-reviewing doesn't seem like so cringe a concept if you consider that that music is is attached to the time anyway. So uh, you can go look back on at an album now and why is it so weird to think it's better now given the context? Uh, it's not. But the thing is, then you got to ask yourself: Is how are you framing your review? Like. The the one thing that I hate about reviewing things with numbers, actually, right, I really reviewing it. is it, it's easier to say that reviewing is stupid. But as long as you're going to review, I don't think re-reviewing is a bad idea. Like maybe I, the concept I, of reviewing itself is moronic, but if we are going to do it, given the nature of how how music is and how music doesn't exist apart from the time, then yeah, you should you should why not re-review? I think the the thing that struck out to me the most about pitchfork redoing their reviews is just how um seriously pitchfork takes themselves and how how seriously some of the people on this took themselves when they were they were explaining the reasoning for their upgrades or downgrades on on um on on them right like there is an air of i guess pretentiousness to pitchfork reviews right like that's just how people perceive pitchfork as a publication right that's the yeah, brand. That's, that, that, that's the that, point. Yeah, that's the brand, and that's the point. But if you're taking that pretentiousness, it's very difficult to take that pretentiousness back when doing something as you know unpretentious as re-reviewing or re-scoring, um, re-scoring albums. Right? It's it's hard to straddle that line of pretentiousness and being oh. hard, like being like smart about it. I guess, and I don't think oh. many of these people succeed at that. Only a handful of people in this article. It's not written by one person, right? It's written by a bunch of people. Are they the people who originally? I want to check. Do they originally yeah, review so. these albums? Yeah, yeah. I think I think they are the original. No, they're not. They're not. They're not. Oh, they're not. They're oh, okay. Because a lot of these are like what two thousands. Most of the people probably aren't even at Pitchfork mm-hmm. anymore, right? Yeah. Like if you if you review a two thousand one album, it's not possible. I would say that the the entire the the tone of sarcasm and irony and the entire disclaimer that this isn't canon so that's what makes it consistent with their tone though I don't think it's uh it goes against their ethos their brand to do this sort of very sarcastic ironic but irony it, steeped re-review that's hundred percent in bold the, the only bold letters in this article are are non-canon yeah, but some people copy. didn't get this message. Some people didn't get the message. They're taking it seriously. And it makes it seem too cringe, right? Well, okay. you know what? But, the, the editorial team is using the writing team for content, so I approve. 
Good job, editors. The, the first one is all about indie pop and the, the scene and all this shit. And then you've got people who just say, oh, yeah, if you're a cringe Tumblr poster, then you probably thought Lana Del Rey was good. Turns out people think she's actually good now. So let's up the score. It's not just t- Tumblr's dead now. So now I can admit that I listened to Lana Del Rey in 2012. Hey, I listened to Lana Del Rey in 2012 as well. Okay. So I'm not afraid to admit it. I am a. What's, what's a Lana you- fan? Stan, could you ex- could you explain um could you explain what the discourse about Lana Del Rey was like? I can guess what it was, but I couldn't tell you one hundred percent for sure. Like read, reading reading this this uh, little snippet from Pitchfork, I can guess what it, why people disliked her. So can I can I guess? You can tell me what was right. Okay, you guess. All right, so she was trying to uh, project this aesthetic as this kind of indie. She's basically trying to project indie through the through the mechanism of a completely like cynical and full corporate machine, right? She, she's not like an actual indie product. She, yeah. mm-hmm. So that's basically what it is, right? She's the mass-produced corporate version of this sort of uh, cool, trendy indie artist that people want to consume. Is, is that the criticism of her? Uh, kind of. That's not only criticism. But you're basically saying she... People hate. People love to bandy about the, the term industry She's not plant, authentic. Right? She's she, not authentic. I, she's, she's, not, not, she's an industry yeah. plant, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's her criticism. Yeah. I don't. I'm not saying that's what's right. What what she actually is. I'm just saying that was the disc- the discourse around her, and that like that stained how people looked at her, regardless of how good or bad her music was. Um, I had my speaker on the whole time. I just realized that. <laughs> um, well, we didn't hear any. We didn't hear any echo, so that's fine. Okay, that's good. You sound okay. Um, what was I going to say? the The other thing that people really hated on her was her whole like persona seemed as you said, inauthentic, but the persona of, you know, like, she, she, she's like, wants to date this older man, and she's only using it for his money, etc. And she builds up this allure of her, and then she, she sings in a bad way, but she, is she a bad singer? Who knows? Um, and she, 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 she's pushing that, like, whole indie pop genre. She just, like you said, okay, I, you know what, now that I think about it, you're pretty much right. She just seems inauthentic, right? Like, she just seems as though, and then she had that whole, there was, oh, it's not on, it's not on Instagram anymore. It was removed. But she wrote a whole, um, whole Instagram rant. Let me see if I can find somebody to screenshot it. Um, yeah, man. It was like qu- now question I, now for I the culture. Question Sorry, for the culture, and she was just talking about Doja Cat and Ariana Grande, Cardi B, Nicki Minaj, um, and she's saying that they can go, they can be sexy and wear no clothes and talk about fucking and cheating, but can't she be? Sing- and she's like, oh, but woe is me can't i be singing about how i feel beautiful by being in love with a relationship with a guy who's not perfect and he's he's a, he's a womanizer and i know he's a womanizer but i'm still okay with it and then thank like it was just so pretend like disgusting like i now that i remember that that, that she got a lot of hate for that you know what i mean and she was basically saying oh like people it, yeah it was kind of like a weird statement to make especially at the time Oh, so she's not in on the joke. She she's self serious. She's, yeah, she's not self aware. Yeah, she's not self aware. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, I I can see how she rub people the wrong the wrong way in that case. So she says something along the lines. I think it's pathetic that my minor lyrical exploration detailing my sometimes submissive or passive roles in relationship has often made people say I've set women back hundreds of years. I don't think anybody's saying that, man. Uh, anybody saying that who's actually serious about uh, it? Ah, someone on Tumblr said that. I'm sure somebody did, but like, they don't matter. 
Did you hear that? Oh, no. Did that go through? The person on Tumblr's opinion doesn't matter. Most people's opinions don't matter on most well, things. I don't know. It sounds like you are an aspiring pitchfork writer. Dude, pitchfork, if you want to give me money to talk shit about Lana Del Rey and Lana Del Rey. I love how you're saying, yeah, I love how you're doing this rant knowing that you would love to to review music for Pitchfork. Dude, I would love to review music. I know, I know. That's... It's the irony of it. Is it irony? Is it, well, I don't know what to call it. I, I feel like irony is overused. At least I'm aware of oh, it, this, you know? No, wait, no. This is actual irony, right? This yeah. is actual irony, right? Do you teach yeah. English or do you, or, do you teach yeah. English? I forgot. Yeah, I teach English. Yeah, so you, so this is this is irony. This is, I, I'm not using it to mean sarcasm. Ironically. I'm mean, not using words. irony ironically? No, no, that's using irony incorrectly. Okay. To actually use irony ironically, I think that takes a lot of... That actually takes some, like, uh, some work... Uh, yeah, that was more of a joke, but you know, like. All right. So, so yeah, are you move on? You got anything? You got anything more on this, or do you want? Do we want to go to the next topic? Um, I just want to highlight one more thing when we go back to the pitchfork article. All right. Okay. This my favorite one is where they go from a zero, and I don't know how many zeros they've given. <laughs> um, but the the dude who originally reviewed this apologized for it and said it was condescending and cringy review. Um, so he said, uh, so he says something like, by the way, this album is Liz Fair's Liz Fair, her debut album. Um, to a smug 19, he, they say to a smug 19 year old pitchfork writer, cough in 2003, this person's probably a night smug 19 year old creature. I love, I love the other software. In 2003, it was just as inconceivable that an established indie artist would try to, or want to make a radio friendly pop album in the first place. The idea that indie rock and radio pop are both cultural constructs, languages to play with, masked with an artist to try on. Yeah, I certainly did not get that. Liz Fair did get that way before many of us did, right? So, so I guess the, I guess they're hating. Uh, they were originally hating on the fact that you know indie rock needs to be indie rock, and it can't ever touch with you know radio pop. And eventually, indie rock became radio pop, and they're like, ah, oh, well, I guess we can't have this. Um, we can't like hold this stance anymore. So let's just give this zero a six now. That that was another good one. I like that one. That's yeah, that's, that's just shit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I I have never heard of Liz Fair, so I'll just I've take, never I'll heard just of her. Well. Okay. Oh, I've never heard of her as well. But I just found the, right. the the explanation funny. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Next topic. Uh so speaking about pop culture and what's popular and what's not, Netflix they did an update on. They gave us some limited info on what's been watched the most lately. So, if you look at the list, I don't know. Were you surprised by the by the list of? Well, I, I, let me just go through the list one through ten. Mm-hmm. So, by their metrics, the most popular Netflix series of all time, Bridgerton, oh, and some of these are done by season. But I'll, I'll just go through them, uh, not without saying the seasons. Bridgerton, Lupin, The Witcher, Sex Life, Stranger Things, Money Heist, Tiger King, The Queen's Gambit, Sweet Tooth, Emily in Paris. So those are the top 10 series. And if I, if I go through the movies in order from one down, Extraction, Bird Box, Spencer Confidential, Six Underground, Murder Mystery, The Old Guard, Enola Holmes, Project Power, Army of the Dead, Fatherhood. So ads, looking through that, li- looking through those lists, hearing that list, does that, are you surprised? Like how surprised are you knowing what's the most popular on Netflix? I'm surprised about, the fact that Tiger King isn't as as high, it just felt like everybody was. I, I was surprised that Witcher being that high. 
like being third for The Witcher. That's that's pretty crazy. Um, I didn't watch The Witcher, so no opinions on whether it was actually good or not. I didn't watch Tiger King either, but I felt like Tiger King. Everybody was discussing it. Your dad was discussing it. Your mum was discussing it. Your aunt was discussing it. Your friend was discussing it. Your little brother was discussing it. Like it felt like it was just part of the cultural, you know, zeitgeist or whatever. Like so heavily at the mm, time. There's that word again. There's that word again. Yeah, you love the word zeitgeist, don't you? It just makes you really hard. Um, was it? Okay? <laughs> Uh, well, I was gonna, I was going to agree with you in general because it, it goes back to one of the things producer Keith is very fond of saying: uh, Twitter isn't real. You, you can't you can't be fooled into thinking Twitter is real, and that's what people actually feel. Because I would not have thought that Emily in Paris was the tenth most popular show of all time. Like, what the okay. fuck is Emily in Paris? I've literally never heard of it. I've, I've heard, heard of it because. I've literally only heard of Emily in Paris because they had a controversy where they bribed the critics by sending the Monashev to Paris as part of some sort of press press junket. I don't know what it was. It was, it was basically a, like a bribe to the voters for awards disguised as some sort of media uh, some sort of media show. Yeah. So I, I guess the whole reason why this came up, right, is the fact that um, Squid Game has been popping off. Well, let's really through that. I mean, we can tie it into that, but maybe it, it really does. If we want to look at the macro, macro, but not not just you know the little the, the funny anecdote of Twitter not being real, I guess it sort of tells us you really can't tell. It's very very hard to tell what's going to be popular. So I don't see any of these shows and think like what like, even Tiger King is ridiculous. Like, no, why would you? Why would anyone have thought? So Tiger King isn't the biggest show, but it's still a top seven show they've had, and it's such it's such. Like, if you look at this list of shows, I don't know what ties them together. Like there's The Witcher, there's there's like Tiger King, there's and, and uh, I think two of these are foreign language. Money because Money Heist is Spanish, uh, Lupin is is French, and then again now we have now we have Squid Game, which is um, which is Korean, and I know we were talking about this last week about how, but you know like it hasn't even been a year since we were having the discourse about you know people like, people are stupid and they don't want to watch things with subtitles but look at all these uh these works that are doing pretty well despite be- being in foreign language did you find any stats on how many people were watching squid game in dub versus sub nah, they no they that. i think netflix would yeah they had to give us it so somebody somebody needs to hack netflix like they hacked uh twitch yeah get us that yeah. info i think i do have I think... uh some info it's not about the okay. dub versus sub but it is about wax's point of um whether or not audiences uh, enjoy subtitled media, and how I, I had mentioned before um, that it's it's more of a like an old rule, old Hollywood rule that is changing. So, in an article on Deadline about Squid Game and its rise in popularity and stuff like that, they say Squid Game also is benefiting from the rising popularity and acceptance of non-English language content among U.S. viewers. Since 2019, non-English language viewing in the U.S. has grown by 71%, and 97% of Netflix's U.S. members have chosen to watch at least one non-English language title in the past year. The ramp-up is even more dramatic for K-dramas, whose U.S. viewership has jumped over 200% between 2019 and 2021. Okay, so there's there's actually a tangible cultural shift. Yeah. All yeah. thanks to Netflix. Thank you, Netflix. Thank you, Netflix. Thank you. 
Yeah. So, Netflix, so Keith, you're gonna give you know, get us up. Okay. Oh, so so you know what? I feel like in the TV show category, I can't really say that I notice any patterns. So in the series category, I would just say, yeah, it seems random. It just seems to be if you make interesting content, no matter the genre, no matter the themes, no matter the actors, it's just it'll work eventually. You just make cool stuff and it'll work. But in, if you look at the movies categories, the trend seems to be just make stupid shit with stars and people will watch it. It doesn't have to be good. Just make stupid fucking shit because people are. I mean, does this reinforce the idea of why you need you know leading men and leading ladies? Because because that people will just watch something with a star no matter what. Yes. I, I don't I don't know what what it says, Keith. Oh, sorry, one hundred percent. Yes, it's it's not. So the thing is not even like a reinforcement that you need stars to like sell them. It's more like it's a reinforcement of why stars make the money that they do. Uh, if anything, because you can, especially on Netflix, like you can get movies like Six Underground is, I mean, there's some big names on there, but it's mostly just because it's Michael Bay and Ryan Reynolds and everyone else is a smaller name. Um, and I mean, it's still like a top 10 most watched all time. And even then they don't consider it, uh, they considered it to be like a poor investment. Um, it didn't hit the numbers that they wanted to continue with the sequel. Um, so it's, I don't know. It's just one of those weird things where, uh, it, it allows having big names allows Netflix to essentially post like a celebrity's picture on like the top banner of the app and stuff. Right. So it's their way of drawing people in. So here's other other thing I noticed. Um, does this mean? Do you think this means that it's sort of reinforcing the trend of cinema or mo- or you know feature length mo- movies? They're now a vehicle for action, and drama has actually gone large. It keeps going continuously to serialized series, whether it's streaming or or on TV. Like th- this seems to re- reflect that trend very very hard because I don't see. You know, the Irishman on this list. I don't see any of the like, well, you know, like Netflix has actually, you know, they invested a lot of money into the drama films as well. But I don't see any of them on the list. Like all the top movies here are basically just popcorn films. You know, films that have been critically panned as being awful. Whereas if you look at the the series list, you know, there's some some things here that aren't as serious as the others, but generally they seem to be dramatic content. And you know, some of it's critically acclaimed. Like none of the stuff on the the series list has, I don't think, has been critically panned as being straight up bad. Uh, other than Emily in Paris. Okay. I thought so, Emily yeah, but, in Paris was reviewed as good because they. It's okay. Yeah, I think it's very middling. Flew everyone yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think I think uh, yeah because, um, so Netflix has this thing where because their their goal is just to release as much content as possible uh they there's more retention in their series than there are in their movies because they can they release this series more often than not uh they release them more often more often than not because they don't do a lot of um like movie sequels frequently and the ones that they they do do are like 
there it i don't know it's weird because you'll see like the discourse being about people like hate watching stuff and that boosts the numbers up and then that thing gets a sequel and then they hate watch that and you know it just like it's a vicious cycle um but i feel like this series and having multiple episodes and like room to breathe is like the old thing that everybody talks about like this movie would have been better as a series because of whatever reason i just think it's a better medium and because netflix can do both it's worthwhile to just put all the action and the rom-coms and stuff like that in a movie format and save the drama and stuff for the series format how many of the movies are made by netflix some of them uh, are in the right? top like 10 bird box, bird box isn't bird box definitely isn't right uh neither is the irishman no, i thought bird box was a was an exclusive no Really? I thought I it was actually, a no. I extra well the most so the most most popular is top ten extraction was Netflix, Bird Box I I I don't know Spencer Confidential was Netflix, Six Underground was Netflix, Murder Mystery, Old Guard, Anola yeah, Holmes, were... Project Power, Army of the Dead were all yeah, Netflix. I don't know about far- yeah. Fatherhood. Oh, okay, so most of them are all right. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, I don't I, know. The one thing that was interesting for me was the fact that Stranger King, Stranger Kings, Stranger Things three, like part three was up there and i thought stranger things got worse and worse as the time went on and but i guess viewership maintained right like for most things viewership and i guess people have discussed this before about netflix um going from like never reviewing things for uh, renewing things rather for more than three seasons because that three at that third season there was the drop-off yeah um but obviously there are exceptions to that rule right but for the most part most things start very high and they start dropping off as as the um as the show goes on. So it was interesting that Stranger Things 3 was the most popular out of the whole Stranger Things series rather than Stranger Things season one. So I found that interesting. Yeah. Oh, also worth noting, I think uh, going back to your comment about uh, how you thought Tiger King would be higher. I think if I'm not mistaken, other than Stranger Things 3 and um, there might be one other thing on this list. All of these things came out after Tiger King. So it was, so Tiger King was high, like number one, probably at a time. And then, or well, number two behind Stranger Things three, and then got pushed back over time. Awesome. Twitter is real after all. Good job, ads. Twitter is real. Thank you. That Tumblr's still fake. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I guess the, the interesting part of this is, Netflix has won, and everybody else has lost. I, I I don't see like that much hype for any non Netflix shows, other than I guess Disney shows, right? Like who else is competing in that space that is able to make, uh, make original content and have any sort of you know cultural appeal, like wide cultural appeal. Anyways, it's basically Disney, right? Like there's no one else competing in that market, even though. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Actually, you know, maybe like what's called? No, uh, uh, no, like I, a, like well, a- Apple and Apple and Amazon are in that space. It's just they need to decide how much money they want to spend on it. Like, like they could, if Amazon Prime wanted to really, really get into it, they could dump a bucket load of money and try to become like a real competitor to Netflix instead of doing this half-assed thing they're doing right now. It's just that I, I guess pe- so. The money exists to do it. It's just I 
doesn't seem to be a will or that or these powers have decided that it's not a worthwhile investment because Apple put these... what 160 million dollars into that um that uh what Ted Lasso and it could be more to be honest like, they, they put, put 160 million dollars to get the um to get licensing from the EPL from the Premier League yeah. to have like their trophy and shit yeah so that's a pretty so big the, investment the thing is is Disney and Netflix are one and two i i forget i think Netflix is still I slightly Disney bigger. Might have been recently, but maybe wrong. Um, I don't recall, but they're one and two, and it's it's not third is not even close. Everybody else is fighting for third place, and it's not close. No matter how much money they're dumping in there, I think uh, uh, Apple TV was twenty million, and HBO Max has like a similar number. And everybody else is like below that, like Paramount and Peacock and stuff are uh, trailing in in that regard. Um, But Amazon is interesting because they don't have a separate like video subscriber number anywhere. It's Uh, it's just Prime Prime, all bundled in together. So like in theory, they probably have the most subscribers, but is anyone watching prime originals i don't know like there's the boys and they, they have the expanse and stuff like that grand but... tour man I, I was reading an article about how how big the grand tour is for subscriber numbers and it was massive yeah. grand tour they, i mean well they they, they switched know. up um how the grand tour is produced yeah, it's, it's so now probably specials only yeah they probably are like maximizing their return on on that as well that 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 show has ridiculous ridiculous costs involved like it has to be absolutely bonkers how much money they threw at that at that show uh but i guess like they got the guys are like what is they pushing 60 70 like i don't know how old richard hammond is but the rest of them are like above 60 i'd say so like eventually (laughs) there's only so much these guys can push their bodies to eventually right like it it got crazy like some of those were really i just finished watching it like last month or two months ago and it's pretty insane the amount of money that they put into that that show Keith, as a one-time student of film, what do you think about the notion that uh, cinema film is more suited to action just because of the length, just because of how long it takes, and conversely, just because of the length of the medium of the form, uh, it's series, a serialized work that's more su- suited to drama. Is this just a coincidence of this time, or do you think this is actually uh, art moving toward the mediums that better suit them inherently? I think for a general audience, it's something that entirely makes sense Um, because you can give. uh, So it's something that I, I think it makes sense, but there, the reason it hasn't happened before is because um, there's some overlap between movie studios and TV uh, studios but for the most part they're separated and you try to uh, do what you can with what you have versus someone like Netflix who can basically choose to take a project in a series format or choose to take a project in a film format um, and I just think that the the segregation basically of 
drama and things that you can let breathe if you choose to work better in uh series format versus action which is perfectly is going to be fine whether it's 90 minutes or longer spread out on a series or in a series of movies um but for i like it makes in total sense to me for a general audience but there's always going to be exceptions to that i suppose like i i as much as i like to uh claim to be a normie in all of this i just watched like a five hour long japanese drama movie so you know there's always room for those as well i suppose but uh, but are you a normie would a normie do that I I don't think a normie would do that. I don't even think a Japanese normie would do that. Damn, that's harsh. Was it good at least? Was it good? It was. It was great. I highly recommend it. If you ever wait, you reviewed it like it was so bad. What? No, 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 no. Here's the thing, right? What's the quote by the way? What's the quote? Happy hour. It's 2015. I forget the director's name. What's it about? Just get to Uh, people know the. The elevator pitch is that there's four women. There are 37 years, 37 years old, each of them. And one of them reveals that they're going through divorce proceedings, which I learned how divorce court works in Japan through this movie. And it's like crazy. Um, They reveal that they're going through divorce proceedings and it leads the other three friends to basically like evaluate where their lives are at. So it's like it's five hours of the most melancholy Japanese life, like slice of life media that I've ever seen. Um, Like, so, you know, the the phrase like this is a love letter to whatever. Right. Uh, This movie is a suicide note to marriage. If you need any more proof, and if you, if you do need any more proof, I don't know what you've been doing with your life. You should not need any more proof that the marriage bad idea. Apparently, this <laughs> is like I'm. I don't know what the the data says. It probably disagrees with me, but I think after watching this, that Japan is the most depressed Dude. and cucked country <laughs> in the world. Because okay, oh my god. Language this movie is just it's pure melancholy and is it, it just, actually five hours yeah it's five hours and 17 minutes or something like and that and it's a movie is not it, like a tv show split into like it, four yeah. parts no it's it sounds a, like it should a be a mini series it's a movie Wait, that is it's does, so long does, at does five it have hours to be a movie does it have to be a movie like is there would they have been no way to cut this as like a three-parter or like a four-part well, that's the thing amazon if you want to watch it on amazon video you have to buy it in or rent it in three parts it's split up on amazon but i watched it on asian crush the streaming service for like asian tv shows and movies and stuff like that and it's just you know it's just a five hour long experience yes it's what what the auteur director would have wanted he would not have wanted it cut up in three parts so i it took me I had to take breaks to get food and stuff like that. So it took me like six hours total to watch it. Um, 
but I other other than a few moments where I think it lingers a little bit too much on the on the moment. Uh, I think all the scenes last the vast majority of the scenes last as long as only as long as I have to before they move on to like the next uh, the next step in the story and you bounce around between the different characters and stuff. So it doesn't like, it doesn't feel as long as it actually is like, it's really easy to get invested and it kind of keeps you, keeps you going. Very inspiring. Very inspiring. Yeah. You just have to like be okay with melancholy. If you're not, if you're not like the type of person who wants to watch five hours of melancholy, then it's not going to be the movie for you. Not going to lie. Sounds exactly like the movie for me. Um, All right. Moving on to the next topic. Well, do you have anything to say, say about uh, that ads or should we move on? No, no, I've got nothing else to add other than I'm probably going to look for it somewhere. All yeah. right. What top? All right. What topic do we should we go to next? Should we stay on cinema or should we go back to music? Um, what's the cinema one? Oh, the Gladiator two. Up to you. I, I've no right. strong what, opinions what, on anything. I didn't give you guys any any time to think about it. Well, let's let's well, let's try this one first. So, uh, apparently Eminem opened up a restaurant in Detroit, which is based on his famous meme, the lyric "Mom Spaghetti." So basically, the restaurant. It started up as a pop-up restaurant in 2017. He tried it once. It's, it was literally called Mom Spaghetti. And it serves spaghetti and meatballs. And that they did that pop-up as a joke. And no, and then after that, they were they were like, oh shit, this fucking meme, this memery works. So now they have a permanent restaurant in Detroit called Mom Spaghetti, which serves spaghetti and meat spaghetti, spaghetti and meatballs, or spaghetti and meatballs in a sandwich. Uh, I, I had to pause for dramatic effect there. Spaghetti yeah. and meatballs in a sandwich. People eat is, this? As, is, it, is this stupid or is this... Uh, would you try it at least once? I would try it, but... I'm still stuck on the spaghetti and meatballs in a sandwich. They what kind of sandwich? Like, like, are we talking about, you know, like a roll, a roll kind of sandwich where you got like a hot dog bun kind of thing and you just put spaghetti and meatballs in the middle? I'm talking about just... Flatbread sandwich. We're talking about like maybe a, you know, um, Lebanese uh, bread. Let me try. Let me try to find you. I will try to find you a photo. It seems to be that it's on a flatbread sandwich. Okay, that sounds right. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It just seems put. They put spaghetti inside, like two slices of bread, and they put it in a panini press. That's what it looks like to me. Okay. Um, better be good, because I don't know how. Um, how much you can actually have, how, how much appeal you can have for something that just sells spaghetti and spaghetti variants, spaghetti meatball variants. All right. So it's, instead of asking in. you whether you, instead of asking whether you would go, if this succeeded and it just does really well, would you be sad or would you be happy for him? Would I be sad? Why would I be sad? So, you know, sad for the culture. Sad, sad that this is sad where we've, we've arrived. For the culture. Sad it, that memes that a meme can create a successful restaurant, or would it give you hope that you could one day do that too? I think I'm not sad about it. Am I happy for him? Sure, sure. sure. Like, uh, does he need this? Like, is is this the uh, thing that propels Eminem back into, uh, you know, 
what he once was? No. Is it going to make him money? Probably. Um, so good on Eminem for making money, I guess. Not like he needs any more money, but you know. More money is yeah. always good, I think. So someone okay, well, told me. Well, here's a different example. Let's say, so let's say instead Kanye, instead of randomly deciding he wants to do fashion, he randomly decided, I really, I'm really fucking into cuisine. Like that, that's, like, let's say that's the random path he went down 10 years ago. Yeah, hurry so, up with my damn croissant. I'm uh, no, sorry, I don't, I don't know what that meme is, but uh, he's, what, was he recorded saying that? Uh, no, it's it's one of... Kanye has like such stupid bars, but they're like funny just because Kanye says them. Um, one of them okay. is like, hurry up with my damn croissant. Right. So, so, so let, let's say Yeezys weren't shoes, but Yeezys was the name of a, of a restaurant he owned. Would you, would you pay a premium to go to Kanye West's fine dining establishment? And let and let's also say the food is the equivalent of his clothing. That it's it's kind of out there. It's not necessarily for everyone, but uh, whatever. It, it's it's Kanye branded. That's the entire point of getting it. So I'm in a French house restaurant. Oh, we're assuming it's. I, well, let's assume it's French. I guess that's sort of the direction he did go for his fashion. So yeah, I, um, let's, let's, go. let's go there. That was another reference to the lyric. Uh, right. I am a god. By the way, is the name of the song. Uh, what yeah. was I going to say? I was going to say I think it's funny that you say that because Kanye was in the news recently for um for making for trademarking the term Donda for tech tech products. So like. I don't know what he's going to do. Is he going to do phones? Is he going to do smartwatches? He's apparently getting into the tech industry. So clearly he is willing to, um, to expand. I, I, did you, did you see the, uh, that product that he sold with the Dondo release? That no. is like, it's, it's basically allows, uh, what was it called? I've got the name of the product. It's, it's, it's basically a, you know, rebranding of a product that exists, but it allows you to chop and change uh, a song like edit the song with within a variety of um like templates right to like mm. change a song to the way you like it uh it's like just that like it's like a little I guess, mp3 player with a bit of editing in, involved in it um right. so i guess he started that with that now that i think about it but i don't know if it's he's gonna do anything more than that sorry it's a yak back keith you know keith you know what a yak back is i have no idea what you're talking about Never mind. This is a super boomer reference. Don't don't look it up. It was, it was another reference I made for myself. I had to get in on it because because uh, Az was doing it. Sorry, presume. It's called the Donda Stem Player, which will allow you to customize any song, and it was being sold for two hundred dollars. Okay. So yeah, so I guess that was the first thing into it. So it says it will control vocals, drums, bass, and samples, isolate parts, add effects, put any song into stems, and some other shit. Uh, regardless, yeah. yeah so regardless. If, if if he was to get into yeah. into it, I, I guess the thing is, it'll probably be a one-off store. Uh, I I would go, sure. Why not? It'd be funny. Okay. So, so so you're not so you are not above like consuming a product just because the celebrity is attached to it because for the lulls or because you like. What would it be? Would it be like fifty percent for the lulls, fifty percent because you actually like this artist? Um. It would just be like, are you saying would I do that for every artist? Like, if the like, I'll just give you another example, right? If the Strokes made a restaurant, would I go eat a Stroke at the Strokes at a at the the Strokes restaurant? Probably not, because I guess I don't know. Like that, what what would the Stroke? I, I feel like an Kanye 
restaurant, for better or worse, would at least be interesting enough for the experience, even if the food sucked. Like he, he's just so weird enough that it, like you said, it would be interesting enough just based on that. Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't mean that ask, I would do it for every artist. I mean, maybe I should probably clarify my assumptions because I, I assume that his his fashion stuff, his his fashion stuff, isn't actually any good, and people are getting it because it's Kanye. Is it actually like critically well rated? Is it? Stuff that's accepted uh, in the fashion world, or is it literally just Kanye stands buying it because his name is attached to it? Some of it, like, has been. Are you talking about he's more like out there fashion? Some of it. Uh, uh, it he, he has I a very, the shoes. The I shoes. The shoes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the shoes. They're good. They're pretty comfortable. Um, does he like push the boundaries of stuff? Sure. Do you have? Do you have? Do you have Yeezys? Do you yeah, have? I have, I have a couple. Um, oh, okay, so that's perfect. Did you buy? Did you buy them because you like Kanye, or do you, do you buy them because they're like actually fashionable and in style? I, I like the seven the seven hundreds. Um, I don't really like the three fifties that much. I got the three fifties for free in a contest. Mm-hmm. Um, do I like? I like the seven hundreds. I, I like very like dad shoe style shoes. That's my like vibe. Um, but do I? Would I pay? What was it like? They cost three hundred eighty dollars. Technically, you should never pay that much money for shoes. Um, but if you're gonna pay for them, sure, they're they're good. They're relatively well built. They have you know Adidas boosts. So at the very least, they're comfortable. Unlike my other expensive, you know, what would you call fashion shoes? They cost even mm-hmm. more than that. That are basically unwearable because they're super uncomfortable. Um, so at, at least they're wearable. Like a lot of fashion stuff, you know. You wear for more than an hour. You're like, oh my god, get this shit off my feet. My feet are gonna break. So there's that. They're made by Adidas, so at the very least, there's you know an acceptable level of quality for an Adidas high-end Adidas pair of shoes. Which you know, if you've bought any Adidas high-end pair of shoes, you're getting that relative level of quality. Um, so yeah, they're pretty good. Um, did I buy them because of Kanye? Would I have bought them without the Kanye name attached? Uh, I probably would have if i'd known about them but would i have known about them if kanye didn't make them maybe not i've i've bought i have a lot of adidas shoes right so like and they're not kanye's name isn't attached to them but if 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 i like something i'll buy like a lot of it i'm weird like that like i'll I'll buy the same jumper in different colors if i like the quality of the jumper Mm. okay i I feel like we sort of had the discussion like a, a long time ago last year maybe when like mr beast the youtuber was doing his uh his pop-up rest his ghost kitchen thing with the burgers right and yeah, yeah i remember I, that i guess yeah and i guess that was just well that was just his fan i, I don't know like there's any number of burgers you can get anywhere i don't know like how, if his burgers are better than other burgers but that was basically just his fans jumping on it and saying hey we're gonna get this because we like this guy and he says he's selling food again that will get his food thing, right uh, that yeah, that was like a temporary ghost kitchen thing. Yeah. Where, so yeah, so the, the question apps. is, can 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 any artist like even Eminem, yeah. as big as he is, hold the appeal for an extended period of time? And I don't mean extended period of time, like a month or two months, three months. I mean like a year, five years. Like, is is this gonna I, last five years? That's why I thought it's so weird because they're not even cashing in on the meme like at its peak. The mom's yeah, it's like like, twenty years like, old. Lose, your, like, lose yourself is like from two thousand and four. If he was smart, he wouldn't have made a fucking a, a, a store, a, a restaurant. He would have made an NFT of Mom's Spaghetti, <laughs> and he would have sold the NFT for fucking 
100 million dollars and cashed out that way instead of this stupid Eminem hire me I will be your new marketing director for your old memes and we'll get some NFTs going and I'll I'll take a low 10% flat rate on every NFT sold and we'll we'll go from there Wait, has this always been happening? Because now that I'm thinking about it, because like McDonald's started doing the artist meals, right? The the uh, it started with the Travis Scott, then we went on to BTS. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now we're now mm. we're on. Is is this Sweden? more? I, I forgot who the next one was. There J Balvin as well. Yeah, there was there was a couple more guys. Yeah, I, I, I've only heard of the first two guys. Yeah, I mean, they maybe the other ones haven't come out in Australia. I think it was Sweetie and J Balvin, but uh, I, I I think nothing hit the cultural like I guess BTS as well, but BTS. The whole fun people start just posting videos of themselves going on into um into so McDonald's happening? and just playing yeah. it. Has it been happening for a long time? Probably. No, no. Is this new? Like famous people attaching themselves to just random ass food because this feels like a random ass. Like has this been happening forever, or is this like a new thing people have realized they can do? We we can just chill. We I'm sure chill we're not thinking. Now. I'm not. I'm sure we're not thinking of examples. And what I'm thinking of recent examples, maybe smaller scale examples did exist. Because usually were... it's it's because usually it's celebrity chefs who are putting their names on food boxes. Like I don't, I think it just feels like a much more like 21st century trend of it just being any celebrity who can attach their name to food now. It is an evolution of celebrity fast food commercials. Uh, I, you would I don't know if ads would remember, but or no, but you should remember like Paris Hilton being the spokesperson of Carl's Jr. and Hardee's, and oh, Jessica right. Simpson did the same thing. Mm. It's just an evolution of that. Mm. The capitalism never ends, and you know what? Also, I get uh, you know what. I Planet Hollywood was a thing. I forgot. Planet Hollywood was literally a thing that that started and died. So, so hopefully, this will also this, all this will just go away, like Planet Hollywood. I guess yeah, Planet Hollywood didn't die, but it's it's not in good shape. Point out that Mr. Beast Burger still exists, and people say that it's good. And as of last month, there are nine hundred <laughs> locations. The fuck? Have you tried it? No. Will I don't know it? anywhere around here that that has added Mr. Beast Burger to their restaurant. I would have to look. Are you opposed to Mr. Beast? Are you neutral on Mr. Beast? As a person or as a burger? Uh like would you would you get his burger? Uh I, why not? It's lasted right. this long and people say I've I've heard it's good. So I mean are you only buying it because you've heard it's good or would you have bought it anyways? I mean I if, wouldn't if go out of my way to not terrible. get a Mr. Beast burger. No. Okay. Yeah. But now you would. Guess, now that you heard that it's good. Yeah, but I mean, if it's good, then I mean, why not? You know. You know what? Now that I think about it, I guess rich and famous people have always loved the rom- the romance. You know, the idea of making a restaurant. It's it always appeals to people. It's like why, you know, Planet Hollywood was a thing back in the nineties, or why Michael Jordan. There's like Michael Jordan Steakhouse, or you know, there's any number of or restaurants that they invest in without necessarily having their name on it. So I guess it's just this is more of just an evolution of, you know, modern commerce. Like there's so many more ways to get into food, and people and so famous people have always been in food. And now they can just get into it in a in more affordable or more you know diverse ways, I suppose. Yeah, fair enough. All right, all right. Moving on. Do we want to do another topic, or do you want to wrap it up? I think we got to wrap it up. I've got a meeting coming up. Uh huh. All right. Let's let's be careful. 
All right, let's do song recommendations. I'll go first because I, I never I never go first, and because I, I actually thought about it while we were doing it. Okay, cool. I'm gonna recommend the song "Fury" by Prince, which which comes off his 2006 album "30 to 20." I don't know what it is. Whatever. All I know is it's basically when I, I'm. It's a song by Prince after the '90s, so no one's heard of it, I imagine. There, there's there's my pitchfork pitchfork-esque recommendation. That, was that your um, pitchfork? Uh, what do you call it? Your... Like, like I said, it it can't be that hipster because it's fucking Prince. But it, at least it's two thousands Prince. So I don't know. Give, give me like two or three like hipster points for this one. Alright, fair enough. Give it to you. Um, Keith, you want to go next? Sure. Uh, mine is a recent release by Burna Boy featuring Polo G called "Want It All." And like most of Burna Boy's stuff, it's a it's a vibe. So I just I heard it for the first time yesterday. So easy recommendation. By the way, Burna Boy's last album got an eight point on Pitchfork. Yeah, vibing all day. Uh, my recommendation is a Haruomi Hosono song. I've I've been researching um, Japanese music for presentation I'm supposed to make in a couple of weeks. So that's what I've been listening to the most. And damn, I should have used this when we were doing the whole um, the whole Tokyo Olympics thing, because he was he made the he made one of the soundtrack songs for it. Uh, oh. It's called Sportsman. But it's it's a it's an older song. It's not like he made it brand new for the Olympics, but it's one of the songs that he used. Haruomi Hosono, have a listen. You know, you guys think. Alright, dude. So they got through the they got through the Olympics without being cancelled. Good on him. Yeah, he Literary. as far as I know he didn't get cancelled. His mate is in prison now though. <laughs> okay. For for marijuana charges. Right. Should have went to right, ads. in America. Alright, <laughs> like the rest of the people. Alright, we'll close it there. Thanks for listening. If you guys want to support us monetarily so that we can open up our own mom spaghetti restaurants, you can do so at www coffee that's ko-fi coffee.com slash the jujus um or if you want to support us in our nft endeavors then we also try and make that for you but if you you know that's not gonna happen uh so thanks for listening uh and catch you guys when we catch you guys peace